0: you know, his path to it and the way he thinks about it is that he works at Hilton now. And you know he's like, I'm going to do this for a few years. I'm going to see what it's like from the inside, understand the challenges, work for smart people that are, that are doing this at scale. Mm-hmm. And that's going to set me up for it.
1: Hey, what's going on guys? I just interviewed Kenton, a former product manager at Google, Zynga and Flory, a former consultant at Boston Consulting Group. And he now runs company with some of his partners called rocket blocks rocket blocks prepares people for job interviews by looking at what companies really need to see from candidates in terms of their interests and also their skills and then helping train them to convey that in the interview and then also preparing them with some of those skills they'll need and providing them with resources to get better at those skills so if you're thinking about switching careers or or you're thinking about what industry you should go into or how to prepare for any types of interviews, I highly suggest you head over to rocketblocks.com. And throughout this interview, Kenton's gonna be giving some of his information that he gives to his students, normally paid students. So this is a really good one to get some of that information for free. So without further ado, here's my interview with Kenton from Rocketblocks. So uh, Rocketblocks, could you talk a little bit about what Rocketblocks is? you know, why you just decided to start it and what products you offer?
0: Yep. So in a nutshell, Rocketbox is basically an online platform that helps students prepare for job interviews. And you're absolutely right that we started with consulting style case interviews, but we've also, the plan is to always, has always been to to move beyond that as well. And so our mm-hmm. our second product, which actually just came out recently, is for students preparing for product management interviews. Uh, so for folks looking at jobs at say Google or Amazon or Facebook or startups of, of all sorts of different shapes and sizes. Um, but the, the kind of core of the product and the philosophy is really around taking any sort of interview, whether it's a consulting case interview for someone like Bain or a product management interview for something like Google and breaking down what are the skill sets that those companies actually care about What when they are interviewing, what are they really judging and grading a candidate on, Mm -hmm. and providing tools that allow students and and any sort of candidate to build those skill sets. So for example, like take take a consulting interview where one of the things they're judging candidates on is is mental math and quantitative abilities. Mm -hmm. Um, To address that in the platform, Rocket Blocks provides a lot of tools that allow students to build their mental math capabilities by practicing the same types of problems that come up in those interviews, Mm -hmm. and providing educational material on how to actually solve those problems that they're finding that as they go through the reps, they're, they're struggling to do that. Um, so that's that's really what the product and the platform is all about. The initial kind of impetus for myself to start working on this was when I was in business school and I was helping some of my fellow classmates second year prepare for their consulting case interviews. Okay. And one of the things that I noticed as I was doing that was that you know, I'd been in class with many of these students first year and, and second year. So I, I knew a lot of them very well before like doing a mock interview with them. And so I knew these people were smart and then, you know, occasionally we'd sit down, we'd do these mock interviews and they'd just go really, really, uh, you know, they just wouldn't go well. And it was like, yeah. okay, well, I know this person's really smart. So let me dig into to why this particular interview didn't go well. And when I started asking a lot of questions about how are you preparing for these interviews? What did, what did you do to prep before you walk into this interview? I started hearing the same answer a lot, which was, you know, I, I read a particular book. I, I memorized some frameworks from that book. And then, you know, you gave me a question and I tried to 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 fit it into one of the frameworks <laughs> I memorized and then yeah. you know, it all fell apart from there. Mm-hmm. And so the advice I started giving was, look, you know, a case interview or any type of interview is just kind of an exercise that tests a certain set of skills. And mm-hmm. so the way you should think about preparing for that is the way... Uh, an athlete might think about preparing for a game or a musician might think about preparing for a concert. Like, yes, you're going to put on a concert at the end of the day or you're going to play a, a game, but there are these underlying skills that are going to make you succeed or not yeah. in that performance of that game. And and what you should really do is try and assess where you are in those different skill sets. Or even, even first, take a step back and just understand what are the skill sets that matter. Yeah. Then try and assess where you are on each of them and then work on building those individual skills as well with like targeted practice instead of just trying to say, go out every day and play a, a game using the athlete analogy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Actually build the individual skills that matter. Like if you're Serena Williams, you don't prepare for uh, Wimbledon by just playing as many games as possible. You go do <laughs> strength training, you practice your serves, you practice volleys, all that type of stuff. And, and I think it should be the same um, for interviews. and. And so that insight for me when I was helping students prepare for their interviews, uh, that was what compelled me to build uh, the initial V1 with a, a friend of mine who was also in school. Hmm. Okay. Man, so many
1: questions after that. Uh, <laughs> the, the first one is any test or interview I've done good on, I, I have done that. But I think it was more you know naturally gravitating towards that approach because I'm taking it seriously rather than saying, you know, how small can I break this down? What are the individual micro skills I can practice? Um, I don't know why when you made that analogy, it really clicked how you could take that approach for anything. But one question that comes to mind is, should you just break the skills down as much as possible into every micro skill you can identify? Or where's that limit where you say this is getting too much into the weeds versus break (laughs) down every skill you can find?
0: Uh, That's a good question. I mean, I I think for every individual person, it probably varies a little bit. Because, um, I mean, you could get really tactical, right? On like mm-hmm. mental math. You could be like, well, I'm not good at math. Okay. Like, I'm not good at, uh, you know, division specifically. Okay. It's like not just division and <laughs> specifically, but like division when the numbers are really big and there's lots of zeros and I'm keeping track of placeholders. So you could get very specific. I think that. Um, What's the? I, I don't know. It, it, it's tough. Like, what is, what is really the right level of granularity? And I, I think, I don't know that I have a good answer for it, honestly. Um, I would go back to kind of some of the sports analogies where it's like, you know, for soccer, for example, like, you're, you're going to, you know, doing, like, practicing something like a penalty kick is very different than pass, practicing how to pass in a game. Yeah. And so that seems like the right level of granularity whether you need to get obsessed about like I'm gonna practice shooting penalty kicks into the upper left corner of the net <laughs> You know, like, okay. you know, so maybe maybe yeah. that's the way to think about it, is like yeah. You want to break it down into discrete things that are using a consulting term like me um, So they're they're independent things like penalty kicks is very different than passing Yep, or whether you need to like break down penalty kicks into like another 10 sub buckets that might be overkill <laughs> Um, but again, you know, I guess, you know, maybe some students really know like that's the area I need to focus on and maybe they do go deep on that. But I think that's probably a personal call and uh, I'm sure it probably varies for everyone a little bit, but good question.
1: No, that, that makes sense. If someone was like watching soccer for the first time, they'd have no idea. But if you're working with coaches and other players, they're like, you don't need to do the upper left hand penalty kick practice. Yeah. Okay. No, that's awesome. I, I was just wondering, because that's such a good point for any skill, probably any time I failed at getting good at something, that's why I didn't, I didn't break enough of the mini skills down. So I like that idea. Um, so just looking at some of the positions you've had, it looks like nearly every company you've worked for, you know, Google, BCG, Zynga, to me one thing that stands out is the really competitive hiring at all those places. What about your approach to prepping for interviews do you think is unique that's allowed you to succeed at that level? And then what about that
0: approach carries over to all industries? Because you kind of run the gamut. Yeah, um, it's a good question. I think on the consulting front, like BCG, like I really was using the methodology we were just talking about because when someone – you know, when I first got interested in in trying consulting, the, the advice I got was the same that a lot of other students get, which was read this book, memorize it. And I I I got that advice from other smart people that had landed jobs at the companies I was interested in. So I, I started down that path and then did a mock interview and tried to like regurgitate a framework. And I was just like, this is not going to work for me. Like it might work for other people, but like, I know this is not going to be the right strategy for me. So I kind of ended up settling on this strategy of breaking things down. And I think for consulting, that really worked well for me. For, you know, some of the other jobs that, uh, you know, Google, Zynga, I think that one of the biggest differences when you're looking at, say, like a competitive job, like getting uh, a product job at Google versus another competitive job, which is like, say, going to BCG or McKinsey or wherever, is the operating firms, the Google, Zingas, et cetera, they care a lot more about you having some particular passion or energy or authentic interest in what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's not that like BCG doesn't want you to have that or McKinsey doesn't want you, but by by the nature of their client service business and what they do, they actually like that you're interested in a lot of different things and are willing to say, do a pricing case on oil and gas and then go do, you know, marketing for a CPG company. Like that's, that's an asset to them. Mm -hmm. But someone like Google, you know, for a specific role that you're interviewing for, cause now they do like a billion different things, which is yeah. a little different than when I was there. Yeah. But like when I interviewed with Google, like really the only way they made money was through ads. Yep. And you know, a lot of the questions they asked me at, at the time were like, why do you actually want to work? in like, why do you care about online advertising? And like, <laughs> why do you have any interest in this as like a person that's just coming out of undergrad? Like, tell us about it. And I think, you know, for me at the time, it wasn't like I was passionate about working in online ads my whole life. Like I didn't go yeah. through college saying I got to work in online ads. <laughs> yeah. But I think my answer that I was able to give that I think resonated was, look, there's a lot of what Google is doing with advertising is actually like fairly uh, driven in like sound economics. And like you are running auctions and placing ads in a new way, which is interesting to me as an economics student. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, I know there's other companies that are doing something similar, but I really think that like Google has established a lead in it and is doing it well. And if I'm going to go, if I'm going to go get interested in that aspect of advertising with this economic basis, I want to do it at the place that I think is the best. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, what helped there was being able to bring some authentic like interest and like spin a story and a narrative that made sense to them. Mm-hmm. about why I was actually interested in that job that was maybe a little more credible than just saying hey look I'm another reasonably smart college grad that's interested in being at Google and yeah you know, I don't I don't know you know as much about online ads as someone that has industry experience or whatever but I think being able to paint it and like associate it paint that narrative and associate it with something that I was actually interested in and had some credible background because I was one of my majors in undergrad was economics mm-hmm. um, helped. And I think I would say the same thing at, at when I was interviewing with Zynga. Like I, one of the reasons why I was interested in that particular PM role was I had been a big gamer growing up. So I'd played a lot of games um, that were similar to some of the types of games they were putting out like SimCity 2000 was like one of my favorite games of all time growing up. Command uh, and Conquer, which was like a wartime yeah. strategy game, another one. And they literally, they had built, um, you know, I don't know what if there's a nice way to say it, but basically they were building dumbed down versions of those games. Like Cityville was dumbed down
1: <laughs>
0: on the yeah. internet. and Very successfully. Yeah, exactly. And Empires and Allies was yeah. dumbed down Command and Conquer, but on the internet, and, you know, with it, with a community aspect. And so I think... Again, similarly, like I probably looked like a lot of other PM candidates that Mm -hmm. that were interested in Zynga at the time. But I think having some credibility and being able to like cite, look, I have this interest and it's a, it's been like a, it's like part of an arc that I've had helps. And so I don't know, like if you're, if you're watching this video and trying to see, well, how do I apply that um, to my own career path and search? You know, it's hard to retrofit that. What I would say is, especially in the tech world where there's tech companies doing cool stuff across all sorts of different verticals, Mm -hmm. is try and figure out what are some of the verticals where you actually have had some of your own organic interest or experience over the years, and how can you go apply that or pitch it to um, a cool tech firm that you're interested in.
1: No, that that's great advi- advice. I mean, it sounds like for each one of these, you knew going in the, the door, you know, what they were looking for. And then you kind of done the, you know, personal thought process to figure out how to pitch yourself and your career arc so that it would make, make almost be a no brainer for them to at least consider you for the position.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I think, um, the point that you mentioned that is a good point you summarize well is like do the homework before, like mm-hmm. it's, it's really important. And a lot of, I think, smart people um, sometimes overlook it or think, you know, I can get in based off my own smarts, but like a lot of these jobs are so competitive and there are so yes. many people out so there, yeah. but doing a little homework and understanding how you fit into that picture, mm-hmm. I think uh, can really help set you apart.
1: Yes. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's a lot of people just don't want to come to terms with the idea that it's a sales process you know, they feel like, well, I'm not a sales, per- I'm not applying for a sales job, yeah. but it's like, it's a sales process. <laughs> yeah, no, percent.
0: much of life um, and success, at least in the business world is a, is a sales process uh, for sure. And actually I, I know you, you did not mention it on my bio. I don't even know if it's on my LinkedIn, but uh, I've been fortunate to have a bunch of great jobs, but one of the jobs I've learned the most from was actually when I was a, a knife salesman between second and, and <laughs> third year in, in undergrad okay. and I only did that job for five or six weeks that summer. But like learning just how to do, you know, basic, just like cold calling and sales yeah. was extremely helpful because in business, no matter what role you're in, you you are in likely at some point, especially if you're moving up the ranks is you know, selling your ideas or your team members on various initiatives. You know, even if it's not actual true sales of like selling the product, like you'll mm-hmm. be selling something, most likely.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sales, sales is always there in the background. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's awesome. Um, so I was gonna ask you about when you got the idea and you kind of decided you wanted to do Rocket Blocks. When you were telling the story, it sounded like you had started it in undergrad. Is that correct?
0: I uh, started it in business school.
1: Okay. Okay. Grad yep. school. So this was at Tuck. This was at, this was at Dartmouth. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you're at Dartmouth. You got the idea for Rocket Blocks. Oh man, I may have missed this, but didn't you? I did, do it not, you? I did not start it. Like I did not work okay. on it full time immediately. So yeah. So how that how that happened through your job with you and
0: your partners? Yeah. So I mean, I the initial V1, I started building second year in business school as i was helping students and and you know noticed that there was this kind of disconnect between how other folks were preparing and how i thought people should prepare and so i started building it then i didn't actually get like a true v1 ready um literally until the day before i started at zynga um and so it was like just like a mad scramble and i just like Basically, the initial process, like I started building it because I was like, I think this would be useful. Friends that I had talked to about, they were like, yeah, like if I'd had that, I, I definitely would have used it. And it was more just out of my own curiosity. And the idea was kind of like, I'm going to build it and see if I can just get it out there and if people actually agree that it's valuable. And so I was just kind of, and I had this other job lined up at Zynga and that was the plan. And so I just got it out. Um like literally barely the day before I started my real full-time job. And then I started running it uh, on the side as I was working in these other jobs. And um, I didn't have much time, so I really didn't do much, but I was able to to get it live and started reaching out to some of the consulting clubs and it just started getting some natural traction. And then over the years, myself and, and some of the other folks that I had started with were, uh, you know, continually building and investing effort when we could, uh, and then, you know, it's basically started kind of taking on a life of its own. And I had been—I'd since left Zynga, started at another tech company. That tech company uh, got acquired by Yahoo, and I'd been helping uh, transition the teams that I'd led at that company, and it had kind of reached like a natural point where it was like, well, there was a break point of am I going to take some new job here or what am I going to do next? And I had always been interested in, in running my own thing and, and Blocks was continuing to gain traction. And so at that point I decided like we should, we should try and do this full time and have a go at it. Oh wow. And so that was, you know, five years, yeah, basically five years later.
1: So five years later is when you decided to go full time and yep. then that was, so that was in 2015 you started to go full time? mid, of-
0: mid uh, Like mid 2016. In 2016,
1: started with full time. Man, I'm just looking at this. You're at Zynga at 2012 to 2013. That is a fast paced work environment for a project manager. How did you keep? How did you keep Rocket Blocks going through something like that? I think a lot of people would be drowning in that environment without anything on the side.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it was, uh, it was definitely hectic. I. I mean, part of it is just like you're driven, I think, initially on in some of this stuff, but you just have like an interest in seeing it work. And so you do things that you wouldn't normally do for your other job. Like I remember, uh, so, so a few crazy, like actually before I joined Zynga that summer, my girlfriend and I were driving from Dartmouth back to California. We did like a cross country trip. And if we stopped in any cities that had a business school that I thought would be interested in Rocketbox in the future when it actually existed because it was still like literally just a prototype on my laptop. It wasn't even like I didn't have something I could send to someone. Yeah. I would try and set up sales meetings at those schools. So, like I pitched oh, wow. in like 2011 yeah. and I think I had a broken demo on my computer that barely worked and like, they they did not buy it. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, things like exactly. that. And then like, I remember doing sales pitches when I joined Zynga. Like I did a pitch that I can remember with actually our very first institutional customer, uh, which was the Ivy School of Business in, up in uh, Ontario, Canada. Okay. And I did the sales pitch at something like, I don't know, like 5.30 a.m. Pacific time. <laughs> Because, yeah. you know, we're on the East Coast, it was 830 for them. I needed to do it before I got to work. Um, And I would get in early in those days. So I think you just you just make sacrifices. Like, there were a lot of weekends um where I would spend time working on the products. My girlfriend, right after business school, is a consultant, uh, a design consultant. And she would get staffed on these projects where it'd be like, she do travel to cool places, but it'd be like, you know, like four weeks in Shanghai. And so it didn't really oh make God. sense back, so there'd be like you know a four-week stretch where i'd come at home from work and like eat Swing. dinner and then at like nine to midnight i just work on rocket blocks so there are things like that but um you know if it was like a second normal job i think you'd just be like, like <laughs> yes yeah. free time but if it's yeah. like something that's your own baby and you care about it and you want to see if you can push it forward i think like you you use that interest to um you know, uh, push through and like make some sacrifices and see. Yeah. But yeah. I didn't have like, to, like there was no like rigid structure. It wasn't like, okay, like every day I put in an hour. It was just, I really looked opt- opportunistically for times where I could squeeze out more effort basically.
1: Yeah. yeah. So you're pretty, you're pretty self-motivated by the product at that point. You really felt like you had something that could get traction and you'd be, it felt it was motivating to work on it.
0: Yeah, and I I think especially once there was some initial validation of like like clubs, certain clubs picked it up, like Wharton was like a really big, the students at Wharton were very big proponents of it.
1: That's uh, exciting.
0: First or second year, and so that, you know, gave some validation and we'd get good feedback and people would say, oh, have you thought about X and Y? And, uh, you know, it was just kind of naturally motivating to work on it because he wanted to see if he could push it forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I I could see that being pretty, pretty exciting. So I don't know if you can give people some good advice on this, but do you have any for people that maybe have something they want to work on, but they don't have, you know, as good of a work environment? Because it seems like working at Zingo would be pretty exciting. And then working on rocket blocks would be pretty exciting. But what, I mean, do you have any advice for people that are coming off like some shift work trying to get something going? I don't know if you can, you know speak authoritatively on that but um, what would you suggest just for people that are trying to motivate themselves? I don't know if
0: you maybe at some point were not motivated working on this and you had to kind yeah, of I mean, yourself. Yeah, I mean it definitely goes through cycles because like, there's parts of it that, you know, I think the tough thing about, or for me, I think one of the tough things about entrepreneurship is it's often painted as this, there's a lot of glamour and, and you know, vanity, like you see all the success stories Mm-hmm. uh and the reality is that like a lot of the job is like doing stuff that like at the job that you know in my <laughs> case like at my full-time job like there were other people that had to do those terrible things yeah and you know you were doing more glamorous stuff but in in the entrepreneurial world there's no one else around so like you you have to do them um but so i think like the way i think you get around and like you motivate to do some of the stuff if you're busy at your own job um or, you know, you're really strapped for time or say you've got, you know, you've got a family at home, kids you're taking care of, whatever the case is, is it's just, I think it's, for me, that the one hack I can think of is you pick a project where you're like scratching your own itch, like something that like you have, you have some like chip on your shoulder about like, and it's usually like a problem you either saw up close and personal, or like you, you like directly experienced yourself, I think. It's tougher if it's, you know, kind of like an intellectual exercise of like, oh, I think there's like a big market here and we should we should do acts. Like if you have no connection to that, I think it's gonna be harder to sit down and do some of the the grunt work. And I so I think that's that spark helps. Like I just wanna like try and do this because like you, you have some sort of agitation or chip on it on your shoulder about it. And then I think what I've found is that a lot of time, like you some of your initial ideas might be wrong or off but by virtue of being pushed to like at least take the next step and explore it a little bit you might find out something else that's interesting mm-hmm. and and then like you you learn something and that gets exciting or that opens up a new door and then that kind of like propels you forward so it's I think I guess trying to distill it down to answer your question one find a chip on your shoulder like an itch you want to scratch and two, like take that first step because even if the first step doesn't entirely work out the way you expected, it, it, might you might learn something from taking the first step that intellectually you would have never been able to get to without taking the first step. You know, it's yeah, like yeah. if you picture like a dot here and a dot there, you can like picture how to get to the first dot without doing it, but you would never be able to figure out how to, you wouldn't even know the second dot exists. But if you go to the first dot and kind of, you know, Meander around for a little bit, doing whatever <laughs> you might notice the second thought, and, yeah. and like that's where the interesting stuff is so i in my experience, that's kind of how it's gone down,
1: yeah, no, that's and good, it. that's good because it's like if people sometimes have to just force themselves, at least they have that idea that well, I'll probably you know learn something that might might give me to the next next step, just forcing myself through this first one, so yeah, I like that um so. When you were getting started, you know, you mentioned that there's a lot of stuff you were doing for Rocketbox that you weren't doing at your job. A lot of the, you know, individual contributor work, building stuff yourself. Yeah. So were there any resources like books, courses, like mentors, anything like that you'd recommend to people or that were really instrumental in your, your uh, journey with this company?
0: Yeah. So for me, one of the big things was that I was, I was doing a lot of the Coding to get the initial v1 off the ground and I was I'm not a CS major undergrad Oh, wow. So I was teaching myself to code as I was doing that and there were a few Few resources that I thought were pretty useful Um, So Code Academy, which I think was like brand new at the time um, basically had little tutorials on PHP and HTML and JavaScript stuff like that Mm -hmm. Um, That was really useful there was, uh, there's a, like, another just like on the coding front thing called like W3 um, resources mm-hmm. uh, or W3 schools, which is just yeah. like a online. They've got a ton of little mini tutorials and like reference stuff on, on various different languages. That was really helpful. Oh, and then Stack Overflow. Like if you're learning how to code, <laughs> Stack Overflow will be like your best friend because basically you're trying to learn basic stuff in the beginning, like a million other people have had that problem and like, yeah. 10,000 other people have answered it for them, back overflow. So that's a great resource. Uh, I think, like, on general entrepreneurial stuff, there was um, a book written by the 37 Signals guys whose names I can't remember at the time, but it was called, the book's called Rework. Yeah, yeah, rework. And I think that book I found like, inspiring and, like, tactically helpful as I was going through the early stages because it's, it's, you know, as opposed to some of the other kind of business books that are, like, complicated frameworks and, like, how you do, you know, like, yeah. they, they, they're the kind of giving business insights from a level of, like, once the company's, like, a Fortune 1000 company. And so when you're, like, starting up, you're, like, as far on the other end of the spectrum as, as you could be. And I think rework kind of, like, comes at, like talking about technical business challenges from that other angle. And I remember reading it as I was doing some of the initial work and really enjoying it.
1: Yeah. Oh, you work, I'll link that. That's awesome. Those guys are awesome. Uh, Yeah. They
0: put out a lot of good stuff. They put out good stuff since, and I know they, they blog a lot as well. So.
1: Yeah. I think I remember seeing some blog they had about like testing. It was like a four day work week or something. And they're doing all these tests about how they're like more productive and all. It's pretty interesting. Yeah.
0: yeah they've definitely, <laughs> they've definitely put out a lot of, they're definitely running their company in a, in an interesting non-traditional way. And yeah, they talk a lot about it too. So,
1: yeah. Yep. Um, so speaking of running a company, how are you guys, you know, structuring, I guess your leadership team for rocket blocks. How are, are you going to expand the team? If so, how are you planning on doing that? Is it just people to, to work as consultants for, uh, training people on cases or are you trying to expand the online course offerings more? What are you guys planning?
0: Yeah. I mean, so we're, we're interested in, in the platform aspect. And as I mentioned in the beginning, um, you know, helping folks with consulting, but also other interview types. And so I think when you look at that, there are different types of roles that, that need to be filled out over time. Um, you know, one of the key things is is content production, like the actual drills and the educational content in the system needs to be top notch. Mm-hmm. And so you need, um, you know, people driving that, that really understand those roles, ideally have, you know, that have been in those roles before and, and mm-hmm. understand what that's like. And then, you know, on the other, I think on the other end of the spectrum, like the other big thing is or one of the other big things is just people to actually build and, you know, maintain the platform itself. Like, you know, it's not the most technically complicated platform, but we've added new parts over, over the years. So there's like a marketplace that allows students to connect with each other to practice, you know, peer marketplace to practice interviews if they want with each other. Um, So some of that type of stuff, you know, like over time as the platform expands, you just, you need folks to kind of own that and, and um, drive that forward. Oh, okay.
1: Yeah. Wow. So that's really exciting. You guys are expanding, expanding. Uh, there's a lot of ways you can take that, but yeah, if it's a platform for interview prep, that's really, that's really exciting business.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's exciting. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. (laughs) Still early days.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think there's one other one I wanted to ask you about the business. Um, well, I'll go back to some about the interviews. So I guess just your experiences in general how did your experiences differ over your career between you know your roles in tech and consulting was there anything big that you took away that you felt like you needed to learn to run rocket blocks or not really uh
0: yeah definitely i mean I think a few things I think one the consulting some of the consulting skill set that i think is just incredibly valuable is the structured thinking skills and mm-hmm. I think you know that that gets just hammered home in that career path and, and, and those interviews as well <laughs> like yes yeah, structure problems yeah. in those interviews yeah. but it, it is super helpful because I, I realized you know working at like other companies that have a lot of smart people like Google for example um, the, the thinking there can sometimes be much more like free form and so you'll you will you'll see people spend a lot of time like investigating problems or going down certain paths that end up being, um, you know, not being totally fruitless or a waste of time or whatever. And I think one of the things that consultants are incredibly good at is they, they structure a problem up front. They think about like the different buckets it breaks down into, and then they they tend to be pretty methodical about where they're going to invest time and how they're going to look at the world. Mm-hmm. And so I think some of that upfront thinking is, is really, really useful. And, I think you know that bringing some of that type of thinking to when I was actually building the product and, and you know trying to decide where do we how do we launch like what's the re- like if I ultimately think we want to get to an interview platform does it make sense to try and build multiple interview verticals at once do we start with one and kind of try and nail that and expand so I think that type of thinking that I learned through the process of going through consulting interviews and working at BCG has been useful. Um, the flip side and some of the stuff that I think at you know Google and Zynga, um, both companies uh, were were pretty kind of deep into this like philosophy is basically just like shipping fast and learning. yeah, um, and I think that mentality of just like, let's not try and get everything perfect. Like if we think we've got, you know, a valid hypothesis and we think we know a bunch of interesting things that might provide value, like, like get some of, some of them out there and actually just let the user speak and see rather than sitting in a room and talking through it or doing like, you know, research for three months about it or a year or whatever the case is. Yeah. Uh, and And so... I think seeing that in practice and experiencing it and seeing the value it provides is, uh, that was really useful. Yeah. In launch, launching my own company.
1: No, definitely. I feel like if any, if anyone's ready to, to run a company at this point, it would, it would be you. Those are a lot of really good experiences. Uh, a hey, muscle under. hunt. Um, so just, yeah, I only have two more questions. One of them is just your, you know, general advice to anyone that wants to start something, you know, not, obviously not everyone can go get all that experience, but what would be your advice? You know, like anything specifically, do you think just go work for smart people that have already run companies, go out on your own and start today and quit
0: your job? Yeah. I mean, I think that it depends a little bit on, on what angle or what type of company you want to start or or what this, you know, scenario. Like if, like, so I have a friend, for example, mm-hmm. he is interested in running his own hotel or chains of hotels at some point. Yeah. yeah that that seems like that, that's really cool. That, yeah. That's a cool type <laughs> of... But it seems tough. Like yeah. if you asked me to like, if you told me I had to go run a hotel business tomorrow, you know, there's a lot of that, a lot of aspects of that business that I don't particularly like the real estate aspect, the hospitality Mm -hmm. aspect, large operations, large teams, a lot of liability. Uh, Yeah, exactly. And so I think, and so I think part of it is, if you have a little bit of a sense of which direction you want to go, getting some of that experience under your belt, can really help a lot. I think there is this narrative that Um, you know, entrepreneurs all start young and you do it when you're like 22, right out of school. Um, but but like that literally is like a false narrative. Like there have been studies and I don't remember the names of them, but like done by professors at I forget which school, but they just looked at the average age of entrepreneurs and even the average age of successful entrepreneurs. And, you know, it's like much higher than everyone thinks. It's actually like 35 to 40 is like average. Yeah, um, if you look yeah. at like successful entrepreneurs, like they skew on the older end of that. So it's yeah. like false narrative that you got to like just quit and do it immediately, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think is is right, and I think it can be harmful. I think the other thing that can be helpful is, you know, it like running your own business can be incredibly stressful, and so if yeah. you can be very honest with yourself before you go into that exercise about like what other things can I do in my life like if i'm gonna go take a shot and try this like what else can i do in my life to ease burdens elsewhere so that i have like the space that's appropriate to like focus uh, on running my own business so for me for example like i had been interested uh for basically even since before i went to business school and running my own company yeah and i thought about when I was graduating from Tuck actually going and joining a very, very small startup right after business school, because I thought, well, if I join a very small startup, that will be like, you know, that's like the, the final step before doing my own thing. Um, and I was close to do, doing that, but like the thing I kind of realized, and I think was helpful was I, I actually realized, okay, well, I could go to a small startup. It could be a total disaster. Yeah. You know, in the likely case is even if it's smart people, it will be a total disaster and it will fail in a few years. And so okay, you go do that. You go do that. It's a total disaster. It fails. Maybe you have fun. You're probably not going to get paid super well, um, at least relative to the other opportunities that are out there. Yeah. Um, and then, like, if you have student, you know, debt from MBA program, whatever, you're going to come out three years from a company that's failed that no one's heard of. You haven't been paid very well. You still have student debt, et cetera. And then think about starting your own thing. Yeah. Like, and are you going to be comfortable doing that if that's what you want to do next? And so yeah. when I was going through the process, what made me actually say oh, I should go to Zynga was like, was, it had a great reputation at the time. And, you know, it's, it's sullied up for a bunch of reasons that we don't need to get into. Um, but it was like, there's really smart people there. Yep. Um, they pay very well. Like, I'll be able to pick up a bunch of useful experience. And then if I want to go start my own company in two or three years, I'm going to be set up much better financially to do it where I'm going to have some breathing room. Yeah. I'll be able to like reduce my own student loan debt in the meantime. And so for me, when I actually put those factors together, I was like, Oh, this is going to make it easier for me to, to take a chance on doing my own thing if that's what I want to do. Yeah. And so I would say, um, I would say that's important. And for me, it was like, a, it was kind of the, how do I financially set myself up so that I'm ready to take the plunge on my own thing. But there might be, you know, other things. Like it might be the first thing we talk about, like experience. Like I want to run a type of company that I don't have a ton of experience in that industry already. So I'm going to go learn from smart people. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think doing kind of a self-assessment of like what, really what what do you need or what's going to help you be more successful once you're doing your own thing and and how can you you know alleviate some of those things or gain that experience up front um can be helpful like you you don't need to force yourself to do it all immediately which i think is sometimes the uh is the temptation yeah
1: (laughs) yeah people like just quit your job and hustle your face off. It's like that's a plan to run your life into the ground <laughs> for, yeah. most,
0: for most people, unless you're exactly. and, and, talented or knowledgeable. Yeah. yeah, and in some cases, like, it actually does work. So, it's, you know, the, the tricky thing with this stuff is it's not it, – there's not one path. Um, yeah. But I think that, that path, of, uh, just quit and go do it immediately, is the one that gets all the air time. And I think, if nothing else, at least think carefully about whether that's the right path.
1: Yeah, that's a better way to put it. Yeah, totally. Uh, so my last question, this is an easy one. Uh, is there anything I didn't ask you that that I should have or that you'd like to talk about? Oh, um,
0: I don't know. That is, that's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> it's the trick question. When someone just asks you the question. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, as I, one of the things I would say is if you were trying to figure out like going down an entrepreneurial career path or just a new career path, um, you know, say you want to be a data scientist and you didn't do that before, a designer, a, a lot of a lot of times I think people, so I would say that the, the question is basically how do you validate that you're actually interested in that if you haven't done it before?
1: That's great, yeah.
0: Um, and I think I've seen a lot of friends and in they're in kind of Career path explorations get like an idea in their head. They're like, "I want to be a product manager." Yeah. Like I was talking to someone about this recently. She's like, "I've, you know, for the last two years, I really wanted to be a product manager. We did a bunch of work, got a product manager job, did it for nine months. Is like, I hate this job. Like, wow. it's miserable. I want to go back to being a designer." And now she's back to the company she was at before, and she's a designer, and she's much happier. Yeah. But you know, I think that's an expensive way to figure that out. Yeah. There are ways you can, like in a lot of these jobs, like you can go do some of that work like a priori and get a sense of do you actually enjoy it? Some of them are tougher than others, but you know, if like you're interested in being a data scientist, go find some public data sets that are available that are interesting to you, start crunching them, try and like come up with an analytical challenge for yourself, answer it, publish the work, do all that stuff, mm-hmm. see if you actually like it. Like you might go through that whole process And be like, no, this is miserable. Like, it's too solitary. Like, it's just a lot of quantitative stuff. Like, I I prefer to interact with people or or whatnot. Um, So if you can kind of simulate some of that stuff, some of what that job is going to be like uh, in advance of, like, just throwing yourself down that path and doing whatever it can to, you know, whatever you can to get that job and then realizing, oh, I don't even even like this job. Um, I would spend some time trying to validate Validate career paths the way that um, people are taught to kind of validate product ideas or business ideas these days.
1: Yep. Yeah, that's, that's definitely an awesome one. I like that too. Uh, okay, uh, well, Kenton, uh, I'm going to cut the interview and we can uh, chat after,
0: but thank you for coming on. I really appreciate the time. Cool. Thanks for having me. It was fun.